You're the new boy. Yes, I transferred from another school. My name's... Wait. Let me. Your name is James Watson. You're from the north of England. Your father is a doctor. You spend a considerable amount of leisure time writing. And you have a particular fondness for custard tarts. Am I correct? My name isn't James, it's John. Oh, James, John, what's the difference? A great deal. Oh, very well. So your name is John. How did I do on the others? You were correct. On every count. How's it done? Is it some sort of magic trick? No, no magic, Watson. Pure and simple deduction. The name tag on your mattress reads J. Watson. I selected the most common name that begins with J. James. Or John, that would have been my second choice. Of course. Your particular style of shoes are not made in the city. I've only encountered them once before during a brief visit to the north of England. The middle finger of your left hand is indented with a callus, a trademark of a writer. And you are carrying the Hunter's Encyclopedia of Disease, a handbook not available to the general public, only to practicing physicians. <laughs> Since someone of your age obviously hasn't been to medical school, I concluded that it was given to you by an older person, someone very dear to you who was concerned for your health, your father, the doctor. And the custard tart? Simple. There's a distinct stain of yellow custard on your lapel. That particular colour of custard is used in the making of custard tarts, and, uh, well, your shape convinced me that you've eaten many of them before. There's no need to be rude. Come on, we haven't got all day. Well, hang on, where are we going? You wouldn't want to miss chemistry class, would you? By the way, what's your name? Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Alter Nativity Stories. Welcome to Brattle World. I am your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to Alternativity Stories, a month-long look at alternative stories set around the most wonderful time of the year. And I have brought on the Homes to My Watson for a very elementary podcast this day uh and he is wonderfully come uh it wasn't planned to we weren't planned to do it this week we weren't planned to do it today but he's come forward because of the delay on our batman returns podcast and he is my hero of the day and a truly brilliant mind with deductive reasoning and logic he is coming here to defend the cult classic young sherlock holmes and it is Max Byrne. Welcome back, sir. Oh, thanks for having me on, Dan. You know, you called and I came, so to speak. So it's an honour to come off the bench, so to speak, and step in where needed and, and have a great chat about a film I've got a lot of time for. Yes. And and again, you're also filling in for Jack as well, because he's unfortunately had to cancel. Um, so we were going to do this the following year, so 2023, I guess. So we've moved yeah. that forward. 
And here we are now, and we are here to talk about an Amblin film as well, which I, I didn't realise a Spielberg-produced, uh, Henry Winkler-produced, yes. <laughs> and uh, and Kathleen Kennedy of uh, of ruining Star Wars fame, apparently. Uh, oh, she ruined Star Wars. Who, who is this woman who comes in and ruins things? She's got quite a lot of decent cred behind her. Look at her you know, back catalogue of absolute hits. Um, she knows what she's doing, but... There we are. There we have it. We won't get into that rant because I'm sure I'm sure uh, everyone will love that once again talking about Star Wars. But no, we're here to talk about Sherlock Holmes. Um, so what is your relationship with Sherlock Holmes? Was this your first iteration you ever saw? Or? Oh, most definitely, yeah, because I remember watching this as a kid. I mean, I didn't watch it when it came out in 85. I was six years God, I think then that's worrying. I was six years old in 1985. So I certainly didn't see this theatrically, but I, mem- I remember we had it on VHS at home, taped off the TV. Of course it wasn't, you know, we didn't splash out on a, on an official VHS, but, um, <laughs> but I remember it was, um, I remember it was sort of compulsive viewing in, in my house as a child, probably maybe seven, eight years old, something like this. And it scared the bejesus out of me as a child as well. It really did. Slightly less now at the age of 43, but, you know, one or two moments still run a chill up my spine. Yeah, I mean, this probably was my first iteration of Sherlock Holmes. I mean, when you're, especially when you're a young child, sort of the character itself of Sherlock Holmes, particularly at that time in the 80s, sort of hadn't been contemporized before and presented, you know, this is pre sort of the Guy Ritchie directed Robert yeah. Downey Jr. iteration, which kind of made it cool. And then obviously you've got the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch TV show, which puts it in the actual modern day. So prior to this film, all, every depiction of Sherlock Holmes have been very faithful, you know, the sort of middle-aged man with the deer stalker cap on smoking the pipe. So probably for a, a child of my age back then, it wasn't something that would have appealed to me. I'd heard the name because yeah. it's, so it's so ingrained into popular culture, isn't it? That everyone's heard of Sherlock Holmes, whether you've read a book or seen a film or not, you, you still know who it is. Um, so yeah, this definitely would have been my first exposure to the character and um I've probably never had a never had a better exposure than this one. <laughs> well, um yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean I'm trying to think what, when mine would have been or what it would have been. Yeah. I'm a bit of a 90s kid, so I'm trying to think of any like 90s versions of Sherlock Holmes. I can't really I'm I'm sure I saw something on TV or was aware of him or, or something. The mu- I tell you what, I think there was a cartoon. <laughs> a shit you not. I think it was called like Sherlock Holmes in the 23rd century or something. And it was he'd been in like like you know suspended animation or frozen yeah. or something. And I think him and Moriarty are both unfrozen in the 23rd century and it's kind of like that, it was a bit like Phantom Twenty Forty. I think. I think that might have been my first exposure. They did. I think they did a similar thing with Zorro, where he was really like a like a mechanical wizard, and he had loads of like machines and gadgets that could, you know, very much like a Batman type. They were like, we can sell toys. Um, so I think it was probably that. I, I can't really think of anything else that I would have have partaken of the Sherlock Holmes stuff. But I've seen a few films. I've seen I've seen the Sherlock Show. I've seen you know bits and pieces here and there. He's always he's always been in the zeitgeist for me. But um, but yeah, I can't remember it, an an exact iteration. Uh, I do really like uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch version. Um, I quite enjoyed the Hammer Horror 
um hounds of the baskervilles is pretty good yeah. um but yeah there's some really good iterations and i've got some comments later that we'll talk about um but let's talk about this film so mm. why do you think uh young sherlock holmes deserves defending because in a nutshell it's a really good film i think I watched it this week in preparation for coming on to speak to you. It's probably the first time I've watched it in a decade or possibly more. And I thought, mm, how's this going to stand up? But for the most part, it does. You know, it's it's a really well-made film. I mean, if you look at the, the people behind it, it's directed by Barry Levinson, you know, esteemed Hollywood director, screenplay by Chris Columbus, the guy who directed the first two Home Alones and the first two Harry Potters. I think he wrote the script for The Goonies as well. So this is real hot. Like you said at the top of the show, Spielberg's company produced it. This is, you know, we'll get to in a bit, but obviously mm. the, the involvement of ILM and it's the first mm. ever completely CGI character as well, which is, you know, Obviously, by today's standards, it looks very wonky. But at the time, it's yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it kind of holds up to the to a degree. I think because yeah. it because it's we'll get into it. But I think because of what it is yeah. that they're creating, I think it kind of holds up. Um, and there's a lot of practical effects that really work. And we'll get into the hallucinations and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> I, I I agree. I think and it's by it was by John Lasseter, and this is the first credit for Pixar as well. Oh yeah, there's a lot of. Big, big players involved in this film. There really is. And and just aside from, uh, you know, who's who's involved with it or who's not involved with it, it's just a well-made film. The, the, you know, the casting's really good for the most part. The score is great. Obviously, we'll talk in, in, in greater length, but I just think it, it really does, you know, as a nice piece of sort of entertainment that's, you know, it's not doesn't demand too much of its audience, and you you are required to take one or two leaps of faith um, <laughs> when it comes to the plot. But for the most part, it's it's a good watch. I, I really sat there and enjoyed myself watching it this week. I must say. Why don't we? Why don't you go over the the plot a little bit just to give us an idea? Because um, so I learned by watching this film that actually any adaptation or iteration or change or alter alteration to the Sherlock Holmes character or the canon is not actually canon. Anything by uh, Sir Conan Doyle is canon. So any of those novels or stories or anything, that is the canon. Everything else is not officially Sherlock Holmes. It is a, a riff or a take or a, you know an adaptation of that work. So, which is the same for this. And right at the beginning, they they and at the end, they they bring yes. on these these two these two long kind of quotes about this is not an adaptation. This is not the Sherlock Holmes. It's not the iteration. We know this is not canon. All you Sherlock purists out there, don't you know crucify us. This is just an imagined story. It's a what if scenario. What if Sherlock and Watson met? as children at boarding school, as opposed to when they actually meet in uh, in the book. I think it's uh, Study in Scarlet, I want to say, and they meet as adults. Yeah. So so this is what that this is. But they, they hammer home, they're like, guys, it's not official Sherlock Holmes canon, by the way. So at the end and at the beginning, they're going, guys, calm down, chill your beans. <laughs> yeah, they are, and you do wonder what what would have been the consequence of them not doing was the 80s a particularly rabid time for the sherlock holmes fan base you know pre-internet you know were the 80s sherlock holmes fans the equivalent of today's star wars slash marvel slash dc fan base would have been an, an outpouring of toxic letter writing or something <laughs> like that in the absence of social media restore, um, restore the columbus cut 
Yeah, exactly. Would have been picket lines outside the um, cinemas when this was playing. You know, people in Deerstalker cosplay going, "This abolish this film. This pisses all over Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's work. Don't watch it." <laughs> but whatever. But yeah, you're quite right. It, it is quite weird how they have to sort of hammer that message home not once but twice. It's kind mm. of it's, so it's really unusual. Thing. It's yeah. really unusual. It's. I mean, I, I'm always, you know, uh, when I was acting and stuff, we never went in and went. I, I always feel like you don't apologize for the work before you always you do it and then apologize after if there's something you need to apologize for if you thought it was bad or it wasn't as good um but it's it's yeah i just thought it was very very strange like they had to um it's almost like a legal requirement like they had to put that out there um it was approved by uh dame um conan doyle who was the daughter one of the daughters of sir conan doyle and she's in the credits as well so she must have she must have okayed it yeah maybe the family retained the rights or something and they had to sign off on them using those that ip i I don't know how that works but um but anyway tell us about the plot (laughs) we went on a tangent there (laughs) well the clues in the title of young sherlock holmes although it is sometimes known as young sherlock holmes and the pyramid of fear depending on which iteration you see or where you know i guess which part of the world you're from but i think traditionally in in, at least in the uk it's just more or less just known as young sherlock holmes isn't it i've never i've never really seen it advertised as you know the no i think it depends on the territory i think I think maybe they added, I was reading that maybe they added Pyramid of Fear to give it a kind of an Indiana Jones feel, yeah. like like it's like Temple of Doom or something. Uh, mm. I think some people say it's a rip-off of Temple of Doom, which I disagree with. I will talk about what I what I think ripped this off, uh, technically, uh, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, so essentially this the narrator, if you will, is is Dot, Dr. Watson, or as he's known here, just John Watson, because they are, they are essentially... Uh, of high school age in this film. So obviously he's not become Dr. Watson. He's a, he's an aspiring medical student as he keeps sort of mentioning at the start of the film. So he, he, the narrator is him as a, as an older man sort of looking back on his life and filling in the gaps, which is quite a good device actually as well, because it explains one or two things, but essentially John Watson transfers from his school. I think he says his school where he was actually shut down due to lack of, lack of funding. And he's been transferred midterm to this uh, prestigious school in the heart of London called Brompton, academy and sherlock holmes is already there as a student and they i think he gets put in a bed next to him in the dormitory and they become sort of fast friends and he gets dragged into holmes's world there's a whole mystery with sort of men of stature in the city of london apparently committing suicide to those who don't know but obviously when you know you're watching as as an audience member they're all sort of struck by a mysterious hooded figure who fires blow darts at them and this triggers these sort of wild hallucinations which are still pretty good uh, to this yeah. day the, the way they hold up there's there's uh, one i th- there's one i think that does not look very good <laughs> <laughs> but again we'll get to that we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah so if you hit with these darts you you see these wild hallucinations where you dream you you know your, your visions of being attacked by all kinds of weird and wonderful creatures and things and you know it inevitably ends with their death and Holmes being this sort of aspiring although he's a, a, a school kid for essentially he's sort of aspiring detective he's constantly uh trying to get in with the uh inspector at scotland yard uh, inspector lestrade i think he's called that's correct yeah trying from to... the, he's from the books as well yes. and sherlock and various other uh, but he's slightly older and slightly worse here, I think, than than in in some of the other iterations. So he's, <laughs> yeah. he's a bit more capable as an inspector because he actually gets the inspector label at the end of the film, doesn't he? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so Holmes is kind of dragged into it. There's a, a, a thing at school where he gets framed for, for cheating in exams, so he gets expelled from the school. But then he's dragged into this, this mystery of these people who they, they decide to secretly investigate these murders with him and Watson and um, Holmes's uh, girlfriend, Elizabeth, who sort of, she lives at the school because her uncle is a retired teacher, but when he retired, they let him still live in the school as one does. And his sort of orphaned niece lives with him and Holmes is sort of in love with her. So she's like his uh, betrothed and the three of these sort of teenagers, if you will, go forward and, and unravel this uh, really convoluted, mystery about about the occult and sort of egyptian devil worship and and uh, this whole sinister plot which um i guess we'll we'll spoil more as we talk about it but um and then there's holmes likes to say in the film the game is afoot the game is certainly afoot um so yeah it's uh it starts off with like a mad hallucination which i loved and it's it's got this like goose or turkey or some sort of cooked bird i'm, I'm gonna assume it's turkey because it is uh, as as we know with all alternativity stories that we do on this season this is around the festive era so it is on the on the way to christmas during this period and he's attacked basically he gets the blow dart and he's attacked by his own bird and then he's like oh i'm, I'm fine actually it's nothing happened then he leaves goes home and then his his lights basically and uh coat hangers start attacking him mm. and then he jumps out the window and everyone's like what a strange mystery you know he, he was he, he was he was a fine man he didn't have any mental health problems but why would he do this and they're like ah it's suicide leave it don't worry about it and then obviously we meet uh, Watson is coming in. He's got the narration, and and he's a he's a northern lad as well. Uh, I'm not sure if that's in the canon or not, but he's supposed to be. But his accent is purely not northern. <laughs> yeah. I, I did write down northern with a question mark here because he's like you said, he is supposed to be from Oop North, but the actor um, and he has some very famous parentage, uh, yeah, which I didn't know until I read up on it. But the uh, young actor there, Alan Cox, is the son of acting acclaimed royalty Brian Cox, of course. Yes. But yeah, his accent work isn't great, is it? Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, but I don't know if that's maybe the direction, because I know with like American directors, they tend to be like, you're not quite English enough. Can you be more English? You know, like they're not used mm. to kind of the the northern accents until like maybe Game of Thrones. They hadn't heard a northern accent in their lives, uh, unless it was like the Beatles or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always think that they're like, no, no, more English. Up the English, you know, a bit. Yeah, they do so like I, that received pronunciation kind of accent, yeah. don't they? Yeah. But I, I will say I will say this to to the credit of the film, like Spielberg, after Columbus wrote the script, he actually went over to um, a lot of kind of Sherlock Holmes experts, mm. and and they looked over the scripts and and kind of said, yeah, change this, change this. This is good. I like this. This is different. This would this is something Sherlock would not do or say. And they also uh, spoke to people who are English and was like, let's. Let's Englishify this script so it doesn't sound as quite as American. And I think that does work for the film as well. I think it's it's not Northern England, but it is definitely it does feel very Victorian Southern England. I think. 
Oh, definitely, yeah. And I think they do a good job of depicting Victorian London. It's, uh, I don't know, I always love to see Victorian London on film, especially in the winter. It just looks like a place full of full of mystery and intrigue, doesn't it? It just looks like a, a place where danger and intrigue lurks around every corner. It's yeah, um, the Ripper. And, yeah, well, yeah, exactly mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Or, you know, just ne'er-do-wells and, you know, in this case, a sort of... Uh, ancient Egyptian cult of sort of uh, Osiris uh, worshippers, you know, as, as one often found in uh, Victorian Dickensian London. But, of course, um, and, and giant pyramids and, you know. Yes, and- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, some would have noticed them building that, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, I think they do create quite an authentic world. It does, it you know, it, it does have that kind of classic Victorian London that, under the, especially in the winter where it's it's perpetually heavy snow um you know they're always walking through busy market streets and things like that it just it just feels like a lot of other films that depict that kind of era and i think it depicts it really well i do like that but yeah it's it's I, 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 like i said northern accent aside i think alan cox does a good job as as the young watson i like his sort of wide-eyed innocence and they make him a little bit younger than holmes as well in this don't they he's you know he's he's clearly he's quite a lot visibly shorter and probably a, a, a two or three years younger as well so i think that works really well the the juxtaposition between the two characters uh, and then the lad playing holmes nicholas rowe i think he's spot on i think he's mm. a really a really good holmes i mean I think, I think the only other thing i've ever seen that guy in is lock stock and two smoking barrels where he yeah. plays one of the uh, weed growers, doesn't he? I can't remember the. Is it? Yeah. No, it's not Winston. That's another actor, isn't it? But yeah, he's one of those. He's uh, one of those. Yeah, I think he's, he's the one who gets shot, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think he does. Yeah. But other than that, and this, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. Um, and it's a shame, really, because I think his performance is is superb. I think he he has that kind of arrogance, if you will, uh, of Holmes, but with a, a dash of humour, a dash of sort of bravado and daring do i i think he's yeah. really charismatic lead isn't he i i think what you get as well you get the the kind of brashness of youth he's not yeah. the sherlock we know he's not no. the the cold calculating you know logic you know dictates all his action he's not emotional but we see that that's how he has to be to defeat the villain of the piece um that we'll we'll get into I don't want to spoil that too early um but if you have if you've not seen this film go and see it it is in fact coming out on blu-ray at the end of january in the uk oh, is it? Oh. so so if you want a blu-ray copy go and order it now it's the and lovely uh, steel book and it's got all the kind of artwork the various bits of artwork and poster design uh on the blu-ray so yeah if you want it Go get it. But uh, yeah, I, I quite like that. And I like that there's a, there's an arc. There's a bit in the narration where Watson says, I only ever saw Holmes cry twice. And they both occur in this film, which I thought was quite good. So yeah. uh, the, the death of two characters. And again, you know, and that kind of leads on to what we know of Holmes and, and what he is to become. But also Watson has a fairly, you know, he's, he's a bit childish. He's a bit, like you said, he's he's... You know, he, he loves his cream pies, which they're constantly like, oh, you pudgy fat bastard. You <laughs> I was like, all right, Christ. Like, I know. Holmes, yeah. is like, Holmes is a bit like, like, yeah, I can see you like your custard sounds. Um, and then the, I think it's a bit Inspector Lestrade's like, oh, you chubby mate over here. It's like, Go, fuck off with your chubby friend. Um, oh, dear. That doesn't fly so much now. Fat maybe, shaming but, children doesn't. No, <laughs> not so much. Not so much. <laughs> To be fair, it doesn't doesn't happen as often as as you might think. But um, 
but yeah, I thought I, I enjoyed his arc as well because he gets he, he gets braver and he's uh, there's a riddle that Holmes gives him at the start of the film and he you know comes at, at the end of it with the answer and yeah, I thought he had a, a nice arc as well. Those are the only really two character arcs I'd say in the film that you you follow, um, but they are the two main characters, so makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think to the uh, the the wacky um, uncle, the, the retired teacher with the flying machine. Oh yeah, Rupert F- Wax Flatter was his name. Uh, <laughs> Some which, bloody brilliant names. In I this. know that that does sound like something lifted straight out of a Dickens novel, doesn't it? Rupert Flax Watter. Oh. Uh, sorry, Wax Flatter. Sorry, I got that wrong. Wax uh-huh. Flatter. Oh, I like him. I mean, it, there's some great bits of foreshadowing in this film, and, and one of them's down to him with the uh, sort of fl- uh, flying mobile mm. contraption that he's that he's built. That very Da Vinci. It is, isn't it? But he doesn't... very a very uh, Hudson Hawk as well. Yes, very Hudson Hawk. Um, without saying check, check out that podcast with Tony on this channel. Yes, do I? I, try, I highly recommend it. But it's it, there's the foreshadowings there because I think it's at least twice this guy has a go at flying. He's like, I've done it. I finally cracked the secret of flight, and he tries to fly it across the courtyard and just crashes. But you know, at some point that is going to be utilized and successfully, and that's what happens. Yeah. The other bit of foreshadowings, of course, is is when we get to see Holmes. Uh, displays um, his talent with a blade when he has the, mm. fence, the fencing with his uh, f- fencing tutor, who who is a lot more than he seems. Mm. Um, and again, that's a bit of foreshadowing for the end. But um, no, I like I like the character. The the uh, you know he's he, he's kind of comic relief, isn't he? And he's you see him as that mentor figure to Holmes, who's, who's sort of I think Holmes said I've learned more. I think I can't remember the exact line, but he says something like I've learned more in spending you know. A, hours with this man than I have in however many years I've been at mm. this academy, you know. So he's teaching him about that, giving him the, the practical skills that he will utilize when he mm. becomes the, the great in inverted commas Sherlock Holmes. Mm. So I like him. And, and obviously he's a plot device because it's his, yeah. it's his niece is the love interest, Elizabeth. Um, so he serves a good purpose, yeah. doesn't he? I mean, this is, I mean, it could have, it could have easily been a very boys club, this film, because obviously it's yeah. set in a, a boys boarding school, but I like, I like the fact that they've, they've at least attempted to go, we need, we need female representation in this. We need a female character, um, you know, and the love story plays a big part in the story as well. I do question <laughs> the flying machine is pointed directly into the school like yeah. the school, like playground, let's call it, or yeah. you know, garden area, and all the kids. The second he decides to fly, they're all like, "Shit!" and they run to the walls. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, how many times has he actually crashed or like almost landed on some kids in that flying machine? Yeah, there's probably been a kid or two chopped up by the propeller, hasn't they, over the years as he tried to, uh, <laughs> he's just tried by, to just by his fat ass just landing on him, <laughs> squish. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll just I'll, brush. We'll brush this student under the carpet. We'll never, we'll never talk about this. Oh, he just yeah. disappeared one day. <laughs> but I, I wish that it happened though to the the kid. Uh, I think he's called Dudley, who's like Holmes's nemesis in the school. Hmm. What a fucking punchable prick! Ooh. I, I have ne- I have never seen anyone with a more punchable face in in all my forty three years. What a piece of work! Hmm. Uh, just the most irritating smug privileged mm. just awful human being um and it's great to see him get his cuppance i've just never seen uh, i'm fair play to the actor for mm. giving him that air but he's just the most obnoxious 
young man I think I've ever seen on film. <laughs> I I agree. And now this is this is what I have to have to talk about. Now we know, like you said earlier, Columbus wrote this, and then yes. he went on to direct the Harry Potter films. I I imagine he he dabbled with the script a little bit there. Yeah. Um. And I just want to pull up some similarities between this because I think if you are a Harry Potter fan, I think mm. you can get something out of this. I because I think there's a lot to to get from it. So first of all. J.K. Rowling, you know, whatever you feel about her, she picked uh, Chris Columbus personally for Harry Potter, the right. first film. Noticed a few similarities going on here. So both of the uh, the films are set primarily in a school. Yes. Both lead characters have somewhat neglectful or ch- abusive childhoods. Right, yep. The villain is revealed, spoiler, to be a teacher. Yes. There is a very blonde-haired bully in both films. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Three main children play similar roles to the three main children in Harry Potter. Yeah. There are some quite horrifying moments, I would say, in both films. Spooky, scary moments. Most of the Harry Potter films are set or have sequences around Christmas and are usually shown at Christmas and are usually considered Christmas films by some. And both characters fly in these films. What can you say? I think J.K. Rowling must have loved this film as in her teens. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing because obviously those yeah. those particular films, the Harry Potter ones, you know, did very well. And I, I think this, I agree with you, I think this is a solid kind of family film. I think there are some... I think there's stuff adults can appreciate. I think there's stuff kids can appreciate, Sherlock Holmes fans can appreciate. But yeah, I I think, you know, why not steal from the best? And if, if it's Chris Columbus's own stuff, so why not steal from yourself? Oh yeah, stealing off yourself, you know, it's like musicians making the same album over and over again. If, if you're nicking off yourself, then that's all right, isn't it? So that's it. Yeah, I've got, God, I never thought about it like that. Everything mm. you said then, the similarities between the two are quite striking, really. That's quite yeah. something. Yeah, it was just short of, of Holmes sort of wielding a magic wand at the end, and then uh, that, <laughs> the circle would have been complete. Um, well, he does get his pipe, doesn't he? He gets signature pipe, so maybe that's yeah. his, his wand. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Oh, God, I never really realised all the parallels. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's ever sort of taken a to task over it, saying, mm. you know, uh, gone through a DVD collection and there's a there's a young Sherlock Holmes in there, you know, maybe she's, uh, maybe that's where she got I know the there's, there's talk about, like, Neil Gaiman's Books of Magic, uh, I don't know if you read those, but there's a very similar yes, story. Yes, the, char- yeah, the character, yeah, very similar mm. to Harry Potter. Yeah. Harry Potter, the, so there's talk there and there's some other stuff as well, but doesn't matter. Harry Potter is a you know a franchise all into itself. It doesn't really matter what came first or what came last or what rips it off, but there you are. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I really like uh, Nicholas Rowe. Is it Nicholas Rowe? Who plays Sherlock, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's great. Um, I think... He's got vulnerability to him. He's got an intelligence. He's got that frustration with himself. And and he's like, it, I, I love that opening scene where he goes, you know, he goes to break his violin, the signature violin that yes. he plays. And Watson's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. And he's like, oh, so frustrated with it. And it's like, it's like, why? He's like, oh, I should have mastered this some time ago. And he's like, how many days have you been practicing? Three days. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I like that though that he's like, oh, I'm. I should have known this. I should be better at this. And mm. and even and even when he's you know he's losing to Professor Rafe in the, um, in the kind of fencing scenes and stuff, he gets quite frustrated. And, and I, I like seeing that more vulnerable and emotional side to Holmes than you know. I mean, the the character everyone loves the character as he is, but it is nice to see a different side and a more 
you know, a more relatable side to Holmes as well, I think. And that's definitely what this film does. And I read that uh, Columbus wanted to show how we get to the Holmes and Watson we know. Like yeah. that, like this is their arc. This is where where it ends. You know, it could continue. There could be another adventure, but there isn't. Even though there is a little uh, a little tease for a, for a sequel that never came. And mm. yeah, post credit scene before it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was it was slowly coming back around the eighties. I think it was like uh, Ferris Bueller and Masters of the Universe. Yeah, as well. Universe, yeah. So I think it, I think it was a, a thing that we like because it, it wasn't the first, but it was. One of those that I think people remember as being, you know, in recent history anyway, yeah. um, a thing that happened before the Marvel movies made it like a staple. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think he's great. I think he he comes across really well. I think I think there are some moments where I'm like, not quite sure how he figured that out. Mm. But then, am I supposed to? Is it like I think there was um, someone was talking about like mystery films. Like there's there's a there's like a version of a mystery film or a whodunit. So. Yeah. I think it's a mystery film and a whodunit. Like, and one of them you are given all the clues to figure it out yourself, and then the other you're not really supposed to. I can't remember which is which, but I think I feel like this is the one where you're not given the clues and you're supposed to like work it out. Like the riddle um, when he finds the football trophy, I was kind of like, how has he got onto that? Like, you know, he's looking at paint, and then he's yeah. I don't I don't quite know how he how he got to that, but you know maybe I'm not supposed to know, and that's fine. Like you know I don't. I'm one of these people that doesn't necessarily need to know the the magic trick. You know like how they do it. I'm not. I'm, I quite enjoy the idea of not knowing, and just you know knowing how clever they are. But yeah, there are a couple of moments where I'm like, you could consider it maybe a jump in logic or. Mm. Uh, or it's moving a little too fast, or maybe we just needed a bit more. Maybe what? What do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the scene you just referred to there, where he get he gets set this challenge of finding the missing football trophy that the uh, aforementioned uh, Dudley has, has hidden. Uh, and yeah, you do think I not quite. I don't quite get how he gets from A to B to C to to get there, and also. Uh, jumping ahead a bit but hmm. at the end when he when uh, watson makes a throwaway comment and he, he immediately goes professor wraith professor wraith is is really the um yeah. is really etar the uh egyptian villain oh my and i'm i was watching it back and i was thinking i'm not still not quite sure how we how we deducted that deduced that i should say hmm. um but again like you said you don't really need to delve into the minutiae of it you know no. this isn't a documentary they're making it's it's an 80s uh, adventure mystery film, isn't it? It's it's, and it's a kid's film as well. We've got to remember that. It's marketed towards children mostly for the most part. And, you know, sometimes they don't want that. They want to just, you know, crack on. This is the, you know, the era after Star Wars and stuff. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily waiting around for explanations and stuff. And again, kids might um, already consider this a bit stuffy. And a bit like, oh, you know, all well-to-do posh English boys. You know, they might be like, right, where's the adventure? And like, get me into that that pyramid, that pyramid yeah. of beer. Get me in there quick. Yeah. You know? So I think I think there's probably that as well. But I think they balance it pretty well with what, like, I know I've always know what's going on to an extent. It's never I'm never lost in the film, but maybe some little more details um, of of how they work stuff out or how they kind of get to the conclusions. Um, would have been would have been nice, but again, I, I don't necessarily need it. But it would. Be yeah, nice. I think it moves it moves forward at such a a perpetual forward motion, doesn't it? it? There's not a lot of 
pauses for breath and and thought it it's moving from one beat to the next one there you know and, and there's some contrivances like the 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 blow pipe just being dropped on the street yeah. and, and watson picking it up and then you know that's they've the clue has literally just fallen into mm. their lap so to speak so it doesn't waste time on in the investigation does it it kind no. of goes right they kind of go right there uh, we're, we're going to solve this uh, the mystery and then you know within minutes they've decided which path they're going to take and who they need to speak to and it goes from there to there to there so yeah there are some contrivances and some uh, some convenient some lucky conveniences in this film but again like you said it's a family film it's not it's not meant to be sort of held up for big cross-examination and and you know it, it does work as what it is but i mean what you were saying about it being primarily for kids there are certainly quite a few moments in this that uh, yeah I think, I think young kids especially because i remember watching this at seven eight and being quite scared there are one or two i mean my son's eight i'm not sure i'd let him sit down and watch it maybe there not are, yeah no there, i mean there are some moments that are pretty near the knuckle aren't they but i think that was mm. i think that was par for the course with the 80s kids films in inverted commas i mean i, I do think it's shit I, back then Nah, they, they were like let's scare the shit out of them yeah like, like i watched et recently and i forgot how dark that was like yeah. pe- people remember it like you know all the music and everything but actually the film is quite you know it, it initially it's shot kind of like a horror film and again the fact that you don't see the adults faces for quite some time is quite mm. eerie as well only you only see the the mum's face for the most part up until the end but you know there's there is elements of kind of darker themes being played with and like spielberg himself i talked about this on our on my patreon podcast about the et a novel that he wanted to do the dark skies he wanted to do like an et sequel where all the kids get fucking tortured and shit like he's all like and some of those ideas came in and went into like poltergeist which was one of the first ambling movies i think this was the seventh yeah so he's always kind of wanted to explore kind of and like if you look at like indiana jones and stuff like some of the stuff in that like you know in the opening scene like a guy gets his head shot gets bullets straight through his forehead doesn't he yeah. like and then the heads explode at the end so there's stuff in that that's probably not suitable for kids either really um and they were all kind of released pg you know or, or the pg 13 of its era um but yeah these hallucinations i absolutely adore them i think they're one of the best things in the film um again i've described one of them already um let's let's talk about the the stained glass night because that's the that's the most famous one out, out of the lot uh, what did you what did you think? You said it it looked a little ropey. Well, only by I'm only all I said was by today's standards, and that's where you, you kind of judge it. Where now, obviously, CGI characters look uh, more human than human, don't they? But f- for its time, it looks magnificent. Considering it was probably the first. So to, so to obviously to put a bit of context in mm. this character, the um, the characters in a in a church, he's like a, a vicar or a priest, but he's one of the people that gets shot with a blow dart. So immediately starts to hallucinate. And in the church, obviously, there's a big stained glass window with a depiction of a knight on it um, with a suit of armor and a sword. And the basically comes out of the stained glass window, jumps into the church and is walking around like an actual character but it it does look and the way the camera pans sort of behind it as well it's not just like a, a singular figure in front of the camera the camera sort of works from behind it it comes over its shoulder and you see this this, this guy like cowering in abject fear as one would it's a great i mean that was the thing that really scared me as a child <laughs> when i think back that was the thing that made me go oh jesus christ but it, yeah i think it looks really well done i mean you know, considering it's the first, uh, it's a this film is a landmark film purely for this. The first 
completely computer generated character mind-blowing isn't it yeah and it, and it works you know like obviously like we said compared to nowadays but at the time it must have been something special like um you know before they did jurassic park mm. spielberg went back and looked at this and several other films that had used the cgi prior to him doing that just yeah. to make sure he can get that technique right and obviously worked out very well for jurassic park um but yeah i, I think you're right like it's not just like a flat camera shooting forward yeah. they play around with the angles i love that the the glass kind of vibrates before the knight you know comes forward he's got this mm. bloody sword um you know and it, it is terrifying you kind of you kind of get you get that these are hallucinations but i think they are they really help it stay away from those classic kind of sherlock holmes stories where it's just like you know oh elementary dear watson i'll explain everything you know it's it's not you know it's two three old blokes sat in a room you know talking to each other you know it, it's got action it's got intrigue it's exciting yeah. it's visually really really compelling as well so that's that's one of the better ones and there's one there's one where all the kids get exposed to the darts as well um mm. they find this pyramid and they see this cult, and that's a scary portion. That's not a hallucination. Where the young girl is getting like mummified, like with boiling wax or whatever it is. Yeah, she's in like a, a trance-like state, and she's mm. been hip- she's been hypnotized. Which what is basically Elizabeth takes that place at the end of the film as well. And yeah, that is that is very kind of spooky as yeah. well this guy in the sort of traditional egyptian anubis it's like the anubis uh, yeah, mask, the, yeah the mask yeah and obviously we find out later who that really is and yeah that's right oh, it's gruesome there because she thinks she's going to be sort of boy- embalmed alive isn't she yeah you know, we don't we don't see it so we don't see if they continue doing it but i don't yeah. think they do but it gets to a point where it's like it's almost pouring on her and it's like boiling hot. And just the image of that is scary enough, I think, like that that idea. We, I, I will talk about that a little bit later because I think I, I do think the the villain's reasoning for what he does is actually kind of valid in a kind of magneto type way, where it's like, yeah, that was that was the British Empire being fucking atrocious and, yeah. and doing a very awful thing. Yeah. And I think I think the reason why we also see these girls being attacked is because they don't want you to identify with the villain. I think that's yeah. why they do the young girls being mummified and stuff. Yeah, you, they still want you to think the villain is bad, and he is doing a bad thing, obviously, mm. of course. But at the same time, like you said, this a warped not justification for it because you can't mm. just you can't justify no, it. No, no, but but, it, but you get a bit of context yeah. to it. Don't you? You, you understand? Yeah. You might. You don't yeah. approve. You don't no, approve no. on what he's doing because no. he's taking it to the utmost extreme. Yeah, but you can understand why he's doing it. Yeah, that's well, right. It's kind of like kind of like taxi driver or the Joker or something. You know, you don't approve of the the tactics and the way they're taking it, but you can kind of go, I can see how you get to that point. But yeah, I I, I kind of think that's why they put the the young girls in there um, to kind of give them more of a villainous, you know, appe- appeal sort of thing. Um, but yeah, um, and the the hallucinations that they all all the kids have. Yeah, the cemetery. Um, yeah. Um, the one, um, uh, the one. Oh, what's her name again? Um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. The one she has, I think, it's got zombies. You know, pulling her down. There's a yeah. rip, there's a shot I absolutely love in it, 
and it's almost like something at Hellraiser, and she's flying. Hellraiser hadn't even come out, but it was something like that. Mm. She's she's kind of flying back, and she's going into this kind of blue void in the background behind yeah. her, and it's an amazing shot. And she's trying to hold onto the walls, and then all these zombie hands come out. There's a guy. There's a guy up top chipping her cough, uh, her tombstone. Yeah, like doing her epitaph, and she's got her uncle like literally burying her alive. It's fucking. It's 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 awful. Um, and then the two lads have slightly less, you know, troubling visions. Like Holmes, it, it's it's said. Well, it's kind of implied rather mm. that Holmes found out his father was cheating on his mum. Yeah, and sort of outed him for having this affair, didn't he, which caused the breakup of their marriage. I think. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. She's. I mean. I mean. It could. It could be any other thing. But I'm pretty sure the way he describes, "Oh, this is my private life, and you shouldn't know, son. Stop yeah. being a detective." And he's like, "No, Dad. No, it wasn't my fault. I'm sorry." Mm. Uh, and then the worst hallucination in the film is Watson's. <laughs> because he's a fatty. Because he's a fat boy, and he loves his his sweets. He. he Oh, fuck it, it looks awful. It really does. I mean, all the stop motion animation, like when um uh is it wax flatter? Can you say wax flatter? Yeah. Yeah. When he dies, I think that one's quite good as well, because you've got all these kind of gargoyles from this antique shop. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. That's a good one. And he and he, he's trying to get in the get in his coats and, and, he, mm. and he has to he's trying to get them out, but he ends up stabbing himself and uh giving Holmes a clue before yeah. um they know what it is, really. Um, but yeah, the one with Watson is basically he goes up to this tombstone, it opens up and it's like a sweet shop, and you've got all these custard pies and you know, cherry yeah. bakewells and all this other shit. And they basically just stick googly eyes on them. Because <laughs> that's what they look like. They look like, you know, yeah. those ones you get at the uh, you know, corner shop, stick on googly eyes, just put on these. And then they've got these like it's a bit like watching um oh god, what was it? Sausage party. You know, it's just a bit yeah. of food with these stringy cartoon arms and legs. And they start trying to, like, force-feed themselves into Watson's mouth, yeah. which is, is kind of scary in, in, its, in a way, like being force-fed. And I think they could have gone more with it. They could have made it more horrific. But I guess, again, it's a kid's film, so they don't want it. And we've just had the zombies, so they probably want to reel it back just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the, it was the googly eyes that... that... <laughs> Just took me out of it. It's just, just clearly just googly eyes. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem too traumatized by us because he's he's tucking into a sort of cream horn in the next scene, isn't he? You know, obviously he has a quick, he has a quick word with it beforehand, doesn't he? He goes, I've, like, nothing, "I've got nothing to say to you, and I trust you have nothing to say to me." And then it's like, nom 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 nom. Yeah. So he's he's not too sort of uh, shaken up. No, no, he's over it pretty quick, you know. Um, but yeah, he, he sort of he gets off the lightest of the three, mm. I think, doesn't he? He's not, it's yeah. not that traumatic, really. But um, I guess he's the youngest as well, and he's had the least yeah. life experience. He seems to have had fairly cushy life, like from the sounds of it. Like his dad's a doctor, you know, he's able to afford certain things. He can get his custard tarts and everything. Um, and and I love that moment where they do meet, and and Holmes deducts what his name is, where he's from. You know, very very classic version. Of Sherlock Holmes, you know, he's yeah. like, I know all this about you just by looking at you. Um, and what's what's interesting as well, because he, he makes a mistake. And again, I like that because 
I like that Sherlock Holmes is not perfect. He mm. might be the world's greatest detective. Uh, some might argue, but he still mm. makes Next a bad one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And who, who? I think in I think in DC Comics he met Sherlock Holmes, didn't he? Or he was still alive, or something. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, you know. Yeah. Or at least at least studied under him, or something. I don't know. Like yeah. the shadow, he studied under the shadow as well, didn't he? So he yeah. studied under everybody. What's interesting about that scene is I was reading on IMDb that um, it's uh, it's referencing. A moment, a mistake that Conan Doyle made in his books. At one moment in the book, in one of the books, um, Watson's wife calls him James, right, by mistake. So it's a bit like so it's a, ty- Scott- a typo in the book, then. I yeah, guess. probably. Yeah, or yeah. you know, whatever, whatever you know, mistake he made. Um, so it's a bit like when Stanley accidentally called Bruce Banner Bob Banner, right, <laughs> and then Stan was like, "Oh well, his, his real name's Robert Bruce Banner." You know, he's kind of he's gone. Oh yeah, well, it's not yeah. a mistake, but it is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so so what people have tried to do, they tried to retroactively because his middle name is Hamish, right? Which is, I think, Scottish for James or like a version of James. I think. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. So yeah. so people are saying that that's like his wife's kind of you know uh, affectionate name for him. To call yeah. him James. Um, so that's interesting that they kind of include that as a. Almost to kind of, you know, these kind of little references here and there, like gets the hat and people are like, you look fucking ridiculous. Don't wear that. You know, yeah. I like I like those little nods. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of films where they're like, you know, this is the story, how Han Solo got his dice. Um, I, I'm not a fan of that, really. And <laughs> yeah. And again, I didn't even notice he had dice in the in the original trilogy so i i didn't need i didn't know there was a story there and then he didn't need it explained yeah so, i remember thinking that when i watched solo actually what the fuck are the dice supposed to be yeah it's just bizarre and it's yeah. it's almost a bit too it's a bit too like our galaxy and our century sort of thing anyway i i didn't mind the kind of little nods to the the certain bits because it it didn't it didn't like oh this is his violin he got it here and this affects his character or does that it doesn't have any kind of it's just like oh there's the hat Oh, he mm. gets it at the end. Oh, and a pipe. Yeah. yeah. They're nice little Easter eggs, aren't they? Yeah. Just just nods to the to the you know to the original source material. I'm all I'm all for it. I yeah. like that. I think so, if, it's, if it's done well, yeah. if it's not like again, like a prolonged shot on the dice that you get or something like, oh, these mean something. What the fuck does it mean? He's a chancer, he's a gambler. I, yeah. I'm 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 doing the writing for the people that that made solo. Um anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, the, I mean, those effects are yeah, right. magnificent. It, it was Oscar nominated as well for best visual effects mm. in the nineteen eighty five, but didn't win. It lost out to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I mean, that is another film I I very much like. I know there's a lot of problems with it, yeah. um, especially in in twenty twenty two vision. But I still mm. I still do very much enjoy that film. Oh, me too. It's great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I I I like it. I like this film. I think. I think again, a very mature child could get a lot from this film. I think there's a lot of fun to be had. It's a period piece, so it doesn't. You can kind of, you know, it's not like oh, this is set in modern day. It's not. It's like the '80s modern day. It's yeah. you know, it, it is a period piece, so you can get something out of it. And and if anything, it probably is a a good springboard to get kids reading. You know, Sherlock Holmes. Definitely, yeah. Why not? I mean, you know, it's it. it they don't talk down to the younger audience in this film. It's, you know, it's not written as like, Hey kids, hmm. but it, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's aimed at the family market, but yeah, it could work as a gateway to, to kids wanting to, to read more about the character and see 
the man he becomes it's sort of hinted at at the very end of the film when he mm. he becomes shut down emotionally at the end of the film because of what's happened to to elizabeth and and obviously he's got the, the pipe and, and the hat and even he takes wraith's sort of robes with coat camp, yeah coat if you will yeah. which is the classic holmes coat as well and mm. ostensibly when he he departs at the end he has he has become the character that you know people know and Recognize, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's mm. at the end there. He's, he's he is essentially what people expect of Sherlock Holmes, and yeah, if, if, if that helps kids to maybe want to learn more about it, then I hope it. I hope it did at the time. I hope yeah. it did lead to a, a resurgence. There's, but there's even a. I know there's a, a separate. It's not connected, but there's a separate um, young Sherlock Holmes novel series as well. So right, and and also at the moment we've got Enola Holmes. On Netflix, of there's course, two, there's two yeah. of those now with yeah. uh, Henry Cavill and uh, Millie Bobby Brown. Yep. Um, you know, and that's effectively a young Sherlock Holmes tale as well. So, you know, if you enjoy that, if you enjoy Harry Potter, I think you can get really get something out of this. So, we we learn throughout the film that uh, Professor Rafe, as you said, is not who we believe him to be. It turns mm. out to be Atar, and we learn what has happened to him and his sister. And bring on this reign of terror mm. um, on these these older fellas. So we learned that the these all of these guys went to like private school together, and they went out to Egypt, and they basically stole these five princesses yeah. uh, from these tombs and took them back, or attempted to take them back until the locals kind of got up in arms about it, and then they massacred everyone. Yeah, the British army. Yeah, yeah. And these the people that the there was children of uh, two of the people that were there who were visiting England with their relatives, and they're part Egyptian, and they they go back and they learn of this, and then they said we're going to seek revenge one day and we'll we'll kill you all um so that's kind of what i was talking about with the you know the justification sort of thing um but we learned that it professor wraith and uh is it mrs this is drib who's like the school nurse so wraith is like the school fencing instructor and teacher there and drib is like the yeah, the school nurse, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. Um, does it say that they're related? It's brother and sister. Related as those school characters, or are they separate? No, before the sort of... Well, I guess they've got different names, haven't they? So. Yeah, before the reveal, there's no allusion. No. There's no, no mention of the fact that they are brother and sister or, mm. or anything to each other other than work colleagues. Yeah. It's not until they discover who they really are that they go, oh, yes, and they are the two... The brother and sister that we meant you know that we mentioned back in egypt although they couldn't have picked two less egyptian looking um yeah actors they're about as egyptian as me um and i'm no i have no egyptian in gods me. of egypt all over again yeah uh. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i agree um, i agree I, I mean agree. i think they're both very good mm. i think they're both very good i think anthony higgins as rafe is a fantastic oh. villain very very charismatic you know before before the sort of mask falls, you see him as this very charismatic, like charming teacher, mm. bit you know, bit more on the the pupils level, and obviously a bit of a mentor figure for Holmes, you mm. know, with the fencing and just mm. you know, he seems to be a, a good person as well. You know, he he when Holmes gets in such trouble and he because look, you're going to have to leave the school, but he manages to sort of persuade them not to take a path that will lead to Watson being expelled as well. So you think he's, you know, you think he's a good guy. You think he's on the level and Mrs. Ribby is just a school nurse. Although she does give Holmes, do you notice she gave Sherlock a rather inappropriate kiss 
on the cheek. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. So after he sort of he's been framed and he's he's on his he's going to be uh, expelled from the school. He has that sort of one more fencing match with Wraith, and he gets a cut on the cheek, doesn't he? Because he gets distracted by the the light on Wraith's hypnosis mm. ring. So then she, he takes him to see Mrs. Dribb, the school nurse, because he got a cut in his cheek, and they explain that he's going basically. You know, he's no way back from the school, and she goes, "Oh, bye bye, Sherlock." And she leans in and gives him like a, a little lingering kiss on the cheek, and it made me think, Christ, that's you know, that's a school nurse, and, and, and you know, I didn't happen when I was at school. Um, Absolutely not, not. Not that I know of, anyway. Um, so yeah, I was watching it with Sarah, my other half, and we were both mm. like, "That's a bit." That's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, but it's all, right. um, it's all right. She's a baddie anyway. She's a baddie. Yeah, anyway. she's a wrongin, isn't she? She's a wrongin. So yeah, well, they, they are very good, actually. The pair mm-hmm. of them, actually. I think once you learn who they are, um, the menace that particularly mm-hmm. her, she becomes genuinely terrifying. She's like, weird. She just starts kind of screaming every time we see her. Then doesn't she? She's just <laughs> like, just like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I stab people. Uh, yeah. When does that last fight before she meets her, her just desserts? Mm. She's making this really weird sort of like growling mm. noise. It's really bizarre. But again, same with as, same with Elizabeth when she pulls off the wig, and we yes. see we see her actual hairdo, which is yeah. interesting. Um, and yeah, and she screams then as well. So um, I think her death is great though. Like the it's the blow blowpipe, isn't it? So she's the one basically says she's the one going around blowpiping people. Yeah. And uh, and wearing that massive cloak that nobody seems to think is suspicious whatsoever, as nobody <laughs> else like wears a giant cloak. Um, but uh, Holmes grabs the grabs the end and blows it back. Yeah, down her throat. Down yeah. her throat, and she starts like hallucinating. And then I think the rest of it kind of falls on her. The rest of the the building starts coming mm. down and stuff. It was great, good good villain. And I really enjoyed the the last kind of. Um, the grappling hook moment, like Watson's big moment, where mm. he, you know Holmes has fainted, he's down. Um, ho- uh, he's got a Watson's got to stop Elizabeth being taken off by Wraith, and he's also got to save Holmes because he's in a burning building. So, he, mm. uh, and I, I like, and again, this this was nice that he we showed the working out him working it all out yeah. for himself. Doing, he's just going right, concentrate, don't get emotional, think, use your mind, use logic. And then he gets a grappling hook, ties it to the kind of chandelier that yeah. Holmes is on, hooks it to the carriage, and as Rafe sets off, Holmes comes up. But it does look pretty like that when Holmes comes up, it's quite sudden. It looks like it really would hurt if he came up that quick. But he's like, I'm fine. Good thing. He's like, good thinking, Watson. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Considering he was literally unconscious moments before as mm. well, he's kind of back to his best very quickly yeah but uh no i like that it, it, again like i think you said at the at the start it's that evolution of watson in it from this mm. in this innocent timid young boy and he's become this sort of uh boy of action if you will by the end i, th- I like i like that you know because it, it, it shows that he's got something to offer to this pairing he's not just sort of there al- along for the ride and holmes is the one doing all the work and he's, he's just kind of there but he yeah. really he really rises to the occasion at the end and then saves the day in a lot of ways it's, i really like that sort of switch at the end it's pretty yeah. cool because I think there are a lot of a lot of the Sherlock iterations where it's like, oh, Watson's just an everyman or an idiot, or mm. you know. But there's also like comedy versions. I think the one with Michael Caine and uh, Ben Kingsley, I think, it's without a clue. Uh, yeah. They switch that up, and Sherlock Holmes is actually the idiot, and Watson is the is the yeah. brain. So you know, there's there's various versions, but I I prefer it where they kind of they have equal respect and it's a friendship, and they 
and they both have certain set of skills um, that you know, and sometimes they can help each other uh, piece things together or do certain things. Um, I, I like when they're on kind of more equal footing. I think, um, and I think this film is very much, very much that. Amazing, Holmes. Simply amazing. Of course, you did forget one very important clue. Oh, uh, please enlighten me. Well, Wraith is a tar spelled backwards. Very clever, Watson. Well, I'm certain I would have arrived at that conclusion sooner or later. Sooner or later. Are you coming back after the holidays? No. I'll transfer. There are too many memories here. Holmes, you have your entire life ahead of you. And I'll spend it alone. Merry Christmas, Holmes. I thought you might have more like smoking it. Well? That seemed to suit you. But that coat, why do you insist on wearing that ridiculous cloak of that unspeakable person? Consider it a trophy, Watson. The skin of a leopard. Indeed. I'm going to miss you, Watson. I'm going to miss you too, Holmes. You know you were right about something. About what? It was the adventure of a lifetime. Hello, and we're back. Uh, Max's computer is cut out, so we've transferred <laughs> over to his phone. Um, it's elementary. We've deduced it. Um, we don't know why it happened. I think we were it updates or something. But if you notice a, a drop in audio quality or an improvement in audio quality, that is why. But we'll uh, carry on where we left off. Uh, we were talking about uh, Holmes and Watson being on equal footing. That's why I appreciate this film. And, and again, the finale... Um, you know what I do like? I, I meant yeah. to mention this earlier with uh, with Wax Flatter. I like that Holmes is almost a combination of both of his mentors in this. The Wax Flatter is the kind of eccentric, oddball, and creative. Where where Mor uh, sorry spoilers. I'll re I'll reveal it now. Moriarty is or Professor Ray for ATAR. Uh, is actually you know more the cold, calculating, lo logical. He's like get rid of emotion. You know, it's no place here. You won't win if you're emotional. And then we get this big, cool kind of finale on this uh, lake of ice, uh, the Thames, really rather frozen Thames. And uh, yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us about that, Max? You describe that to us. Yeah. So again, it, it, it describes like the foreshadowing I'd mentioned at, at the start with the, the fencing and the the physicality that Holmes brings to it with his skill with a blade. And obviously, when when you see him doing his brave acting, it's against Professor Rafe. So it's always going to flow back to the fact that it's going to come down to them again, one by one. And in those practice matches, he always loses by, you know, some little sort of twist of fate. But by the end, obviously, things are different. He has to find a way to win. And so, yeah, they're on this... Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be like the Thames Frozen or something like that, or what it's supposed to be specifically mm. um but they're on there and obviously the the flying machine's gone into the water has gone into the the, the ice and that's starting to to sink in because they took quite a heavy landing and when holmes and wraith slash etar slash moriarty are fighting on the end the ice starts to crack so it becomes very apparent someone's going to take a bath and obviously you know it's not going to be hurt sherlock holmes is it at the end of the day 
So it's it's a quite a good sequence. The the sword plays pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not Obi Wan Kenobi versus Darth Maul in the Phantom Menace, is it? Where are still... all the flips? Where are all the flips? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where was all that? And where was sort of the uh, the sword getting cut in half and having to use sort of two ends of it or something like this? But there you go. Other than that, um, but yeah, you no, know, it's a good fight. I think it's mm. probably a little bit too brief for my liking. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's over pretty quick. It should have been like this sort of fight to end all fights, but it seems to end it ends quite abruptly as well the way Wraith sort of almost sort of jumps backwards into the yeah. ice really think, rather than being yeah, he, he below. I think he waves like a big piece of wood, doesn't he? Like a massive two yeah. by four. And then the weight of that just sends him through the ice at the end. But I love him uh, them going through the windows really good and um they they he scars Rafe. Uh, and he's like, oh, you've cut me now. Ha ha. Mm. You know, it's because he's cut him earlier in the film when they were yeah. fencing. And, and yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a great little, you know, because it, it changes. It's not just a sword fight. You know, it becomes a bit of an argy bargy fisticuffs and they, he grabs a hook, like a meat hook or whatever it is mm-hmm. um and uh, he starts swinging that at him and yeah and then he sinks to the bottom uh of the thames we'll call it and but before that happens unfortunately they think they've they think he's run off because they they break the carriage with the grappling hook uh he disappears but elizabeth is there and then he goes to shoot Holmes, and elizabeth stands in his way and she dies yeah it's quite you don't really see that coming really because you think you know they're going to be together at the end but mm. she sort of she takes the bullet for him, really. Clint Eastwood in the line of fire style, you know, jumping in front of the uh, in front of the bullet. It's weird how the, her death scene is really kind of. She dies very slowly, but there's no. She just kind of drifts off. You know, Watson is just kind of telling her to wake up, isn't he? In some ways, it would have been nice to see him. You know, it's he mentions it several times during the first start of the film, at least that oh, I'm never going to get into medical school because you're leaving you're leading me down a dark path and all this. Perhaps one way I would have liked seeing it end was would be to Watson to use his medical prowess, if you will, to perform mm. some kind of emergency procedure or something to somehow revive her. It wouldn't have had to change the end because they could have had something yeah. where Holmes decides that being with her makes him vulnerable or something like this, and mm. as such, he has to still go off in his own path at the end of the film, rather than make her the sacrificial lamb for him to become the man he has to become but yeah it's it's a weird death isn't it yeah it's it's very it is very slow and it's almost like she's kind of accepted it she's like oh well and uh just kind of <laughs> fading oh, away shit happens stay awake please <laughs> like if, yeah if you, if you i think you're right though i think that would have been nice if he attempted to do some sort of medical thing i didn't mm. i didn't really think about that at the time but no i think you're absolutely right i think if he'd shown like and then he went oh we can't stop the bleeding oh she's hemorrhaging or something i don't know if those are terms they would use back then but maybe that maybe that was part of the research they were like we don't know what medical students would would practice at this point for a yeah. gunshot wound maybe so maybe they were just like she dies you know free <laughs> fridged uh as uh, she is a bit isn't she yeah, yeah. Li- just a little just a little but i think in a way thinking about it like she says like they both say that they love each other like pretty early on so i was like usually in films they have to kind of build up to them getting together don't they they have to get mm. over themselves or you know learn to be appreciate each other and but they pretty much are like i love you she she writes on the on the window do you think Christopher Nolan saw this film and went, world's greatest detective, mentor, sword fight on the ice, somebody falls in, 
Um, I think I'll have that. I think he did. I think he did. <laughs> God, this film has inspired so many sort of cinematic giants, hasn't it? From Harry Potter to Batman Begins. I think it's... Um, there you go. It's underappreciated. I think it is. It could be like that kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing where you can pick any film you care to mention and somehow work it back to young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I know a lot of the kind of Sherlock Holmes kind of characters and actors always kind of seem to come back to the Sherlock Holmes franchise. I know that um, there was a TV show with uh, Moriarty in this um, where he was a time-displaced Sherlock Holmes as well. So I think it was like Sherlock Holmes 1994 or some shit, um, and he and he played Holmes himself. But yeah, and and also Nicholas Rowe, he turned up in the film with Ian McKellen, Mister Holmes, where uh, Ian McKellen plays an elderly uh, oh, Sherlock right. Holmes. He yeah. he actually plays an actor playing Holmes in a film talking about hallucinogens. Wow, that is meta, isn't it? And uh, I, I looked up as well online that the Alan Cox and Nicholas Rowe reunited in 2010 for a improvisational uh, show called The Improvathon. They basically create a sequel to young Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I would on, like to have seen that. On stage. There are some clips on YouTube. Uh, if anyone's right. interested, uh, I might leave them in the show notes if you want. Um, and it's, yeah, it's the exact same actors. They're playing the same characters in the same way. Um, obviously, I think it's I think it's uh, a bit more of a humorous thing because obviously it's an improvised um, kind of show, improvised comedy mm. show. So I think they play on the on the humor a bit, but the you know the it's it's like they're kind of stepping into those roles again. Um, I only watched like a few minutes of one, but there's like three different clips you can see of the mm. same show. Someone's just recorded it on their phone, but um, but yeah, and, and uh, there was a Japanese video game as well uh, on the MXS, I think it's called. Um, and it was I did see that, yeah, yeah. It was like Young Sherlock Holmes, the the Legend of Doyle, or something like that. But yeah, apparently it was that popular in Japan. It warranted a video game sequel. So uh, have you got anything else you'd... Oh, yeah, we've got to talk about the post-credits. Ah, oh, well, it's 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 the ultimate sort of tease for something that never came, isn't it, really? Because I guess they dropped it in there, maybe under the hope that there would be more stories in this franchise and further films, but obviously the film didn't do brilliantly. I mean, it made money, but I think most of the money was made outside mm. of America. I think its American yeah. box office was somewhat disappointing. Um, so obviously a sequel was kind of dead in the water, which is yeah. a real shame. It did. Yeah. I did look. I did look this up. So it, it did make with with international as well as you know domestic. It yeah. did make a three times its money, uh, three yeah, times its yeah. budget. Yeah, it cost eighteen million dollars to make and made sixty three point seven. So yeah, like you said, tripled. Yeah. So technically, I wouldn't say it's it's not a flop, but it's not. No. It's probably not ambling numbers and it's not et it's not goonies which columbus also wrote you know so i i I would love to have seen where they would have taken it and where it would have gone but yeah absolutely i I was looking up as well the the box office what was out at the time and Mm. and number one with a bullet is one of your favorites max it's uh, Rocky Four. Well, there you go. You know, in it's December, Pete, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and you've got Spies Like Us number two, which is Dan Aykroyd and uh, Chevy Chase comedy. Great uh, film. Jewel of the Nile, a sequel to Romance in the Stone. Yeah. Uh, White Knights, which won an Oscar for Lionel Richie. Santa Claus the movie and Out of Africa. And then we get young Sherlock Holmes in December. The the box office. So it was seven seven places down. Um, yeah. I can see why. 
unfortunately, because it seems to be the only, like, other than Santa Claus the movie, there was a re-release of 101 Dalmatians, which is the one after, The Colour Purple, One Magic Christmas, which I've never heard of, um, but that was the top 10 in December of 1985, so as it was uh, released, which I think it was just post-Thanksgiving weekend it was released. So I think it did all right, considering, um, but I think people consider it a flop when it actually really wasn't. Again, I've interrupted you, Max. Tell us about that post-credits. <laughs> Yeah, well, what's clever about that post-credits is it keeps you on the hook because it shows you footage throughout the credits. I mean, obviously, most post-credits scenes are credits play as traditional credits play, and then there's a scene at the end or in the middle or something like this. But this one, the credits run, but at the same time, they're not running over a black screen, they're running over footage. So this footage is of someone in like a a horse-driven sleigh, a horse-driven carriage or something like this, going through i think it's supposed to be switzerland it's not really massively sort of confirmed where it is but i think i've read that it is supposed to be switzerland and this person sort of going through the snow being driven around while the credits play and the, and the music and everything and you're thinking who's this first you think is it supposed to be sherlock holmes going somewhere you know is he going to like a a, a new school in, in europe or something or is he on a case who knows uh, you only see them from the back and they've got this massive black hat on so at the end they stop at this guest house hotel something like this and again you don't see them from the front and they check into this hotel and the, the woman on the reception desk asks them to sign the guest book and as they sign it the signature the surname reads moriarty which you know for those who maybe don't know moriarty is sherlock holmes arch enemy his uber nemesis you know the the green goblin to his spider-man if you will and then the camera turns to the face of the person who signed and it's professor wraith who somehow <laughs> somehow survived going under the ice being wounded and, and taking a bath under the, the frozen ice and he looks pretty well other than the scar on his face and he looks straight down the barrel of the camera and raises his eyebrow like the rock used to do in wwe <laughs> i was gonna say and then that's <laughs> moriarty's it. eyebrow <laughs> yeah, the people's eyebrow. Um, and then it just cuts to black scene. That's it. That's the end. But it's great because, again, it's it, that's what that's what post-credit scenes do, isn't it, really? They set up sequels, don't they, really? If you think about what Marvel yeah. have done over the years, that usually, nine times out of ten, the post-credit scene, well, sometimes it's just a little bit of fun or, you know, closure for something. But a lot of the time, it's something that points to where we're going next in the in the saga. So this is exactly what this does. It, it shows that, A, Rafe's alive and B, that he is this universe's version of Moriarty. And it would have been great, wouldn't it, if we'd have yeah. got more? I think, you know, there was still a story to tell. We barely scratched the surface. We just got Holmes to sort of where he needs to be to be Holmes. And now we've introduced this the arch-villain to end all arch-villains, and we never get to revisit it. It's a damn shame, I think. Mm. I, th- I think so, too, because I think, I think the could have been a film series here i think there was enough going for it where it would have been i think successful to a point again we'll never know i would personally i know you would and i would personally rec- recommend this to uh to people mature kids i think you know maybe a mm-hmm. 12 13 year old maybe 14 year old i'd say would this would be good for if they're into yeah. things like harry potter and stuff like that probably put it on for them um who would you say this is this is for yeah definitely not young children i you know I, sort of I would say ages 10 and over. I think when you, I think you need to be that age to A, not be scared to death by some of the bits in it and also to be, you know, mature enough to, to deal with some of the, the scarier themes in it. So definitely, although it is, 
it's family friendly, but family friendly with an asterisk next to it. Yeah, I'd say like, I'd, I'd like, say, a, like a lot of the eighties stuff. Yeah, I'd say it's more of a PG thirteen, like a a two towers or something like that, where there are you know scary elements, maybe not suitable for younger children, but it is down to the parents. At the end of the day, what you think your kid can deal with. Uh, in regards to that sort of stuff. Um, but yes, before we go, Max, uh, we have a few listener comments. So I oh, asked yes. uh, people what is their favourite iteration of Sherlock Holmes or the other characters like Watson or Mycroft, who, who gets referenced in this, or Irene Adler and Lestrade, you name it, all those kind of characters. So uh, Paul Meller, so that's at the Meller Geek, I prefer the OG Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce version. Plus, my dad is named after Nigel Bruce, so it always has a sentimental value to me. That is pretty cool. It is. I like that. Yeah, very nice. Uh, so Mike Burton, as we know of Genuine Chit Chat, he said, I've not seen many, but Benedict Cumberbatch is my favourite. BBC Sherlock series is near perfect in my eyes, aside from The Hounds of the Baskervilles, which is just too predictable. Series one to three is flawless. Sherlock is my favourite TV show of all time. Very high praise. It is indeed, yeah. I only watched the first series of that. One, one of these days I will go back and watch seasons two and three. It yeah. was good. Well, they were like mini movies, weren't they? So you can kind of just watch them kind of as their own thing. And um, I think the second series has Moriarty in it. And the guy who plays Moriarty yes. is, is brilliant. So I highly recommend at least those episodes at the very least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, great stuff. Uh, who else? Oh, so uh, Kalian over on Instagram. Um, so that was Mike on, on Facebook and that was uh, Paul on Twitter. Um, so uh, Kalian on Instagram, who's a, a Hawkeye cosplayer, among other things, he says, Jeremy Brett, who was the Granada TV version, I believe. That's right. Yeah, I do remember Jeremy Brett. Yeah, correct. Uh, so uh, Math, our friend Math from uh, several podcasts, um, he says... It might be a less popular opinion, but Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu in Elementary are my faves. His brilliance, but also his struggle with his addiction, is shown really well in the show. Also, Watson is given as much time as Sherlock. The twist of Watson being a female gives us a new easy to look at uh, their relationship. Also, I do enjoy both the main actors, but also the side ones, as well as Captain Gregson and Marcus Bell. Uh, we got more, got to see more of the people around him and his awkward interaction with them. I was a big fan of the series and a different interpretation of the character, a uh, well-loved character. Also, again, the spin on their Moriarty. I think I'm going to revisit them again. Thanks, Dan. More shows added to my list. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so uh, another one of our, our uh, Patreon as well. Um, not that Math is a patron, but you, you can be Math. Come and join Max and and uh, everybody else. Uh, so Tonya, so at Ms. Tonya Todd on Twitter, she says, uh, Lara Pulver is spectacular as Irene Adler. Uh, it's as though a scandal in Belgravia, um, which is the Sherlock, the Benedict Cumberbatch version of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, they modelled her after Catwoman, the bisexual dominatrix, complete with a riding crop, the writing, the acting, the dialogue. Uh, she's doing like a kind of a chef's kiss emoticon, but it's a cat. I wonder why Tonya likes this version. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, so Guy Hepworth, uh, he's not a regular kind of commenter, but he's a guy I uh, worked with. He's given me a few acting jobs here and there. Great guy, lovely guy, funny guy. Um, there are some jolly good ones, but only the one real one, Jeremy Brett's version from Granada TV, simply definitive. Um, he also was very disappointed that the image I used to ask for the comments didn't have him in. And he goes, tut, tut. Uh, and I said, I, I stole that image, Guy. I'm really sorry. And he's like, and he's like, I'm even more disappointed in you, Dan. So there we go. That's our <laughs> comments. Um, is there is there anything else you uh, wanted to say about what's your favourite iteration? I'm still going to go with this because it was my first. So, you know, your first always holds a special place in your heart, doesn't it? So I'm going to go with this because it's the the one I have the most interest in going back to. So I'll go with that. The only other thing I wanted to mention about the film itself and give a quick shout out, which I, sure. I missed while we were discussing, was the score. Oh, wonderful, yes. wonderful, wonderful score by Bruce Broughton. I must admit, when before the credits rolled, obviously it's the first time I'd watched it in years, I thought it was going to say music by John Williams. Mm. It's very, John, very, very John Williams-esque. And obviously with the Spielberg connection, you know, he could have got, Williams to do it because they've they've worked together so many times over the years. So I thought it was, but I mean the, the score is is wonderful. It's 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 got epic moments. It's got moments of, of, of real subtlety, and it conjures up again as I was talking about that sort of depiction of Victorian London. It it just works really well in sync with what you're seeing on film. So again, Bruce Broughton is you know he's got a CV as long as your arm with some real mm. big stuff, real big stuff on there. What, what a successful composer he's he's been in the yeah. script. But I think his work here is superb. I think again, it's not probably not something that people talk about a lot. And and, and like we've said, this film perhaps has gone under the radar a lot in people's mm. lives in popular culture and things like that. But I just think he does a masterful job of, of bringing the music to the screen. I totally agree. He even won a, uh, a Saturn Award, which is like a sci-fi fancy movie award for the music in 1985. Richly deserved. Richly Ab deserved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Max, where can people find you online and in the podcast world? Sure, yeah. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Maxi Byrne, which is spelled M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. If you go there, uh, that's where I am, and then there's links to the various websites that I write bits and pieces for and articles and comic book reviews and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and then you can find me on the Comics in Motion network, The every podcast catching up, you'll find it. If you search for Comics in Motion or the Twitter page, which is at Comics in Motion P. Uh, and on there at the minute, I'm doing the mandatory music and CD show where we're going through a classic album track by track uh, with me and the good guys, Tony and Dave, uh, three middle-aged men <laughs> reminiscing about um, classic albums from our pasts and dissecting them and debating them. So as we record this, um, just a few nights ago, we recorded our latest episode where we cover the classic Black Sabbath album, Paranoid. So, that's a, so look out for that. That's dropping. In fact, it will drop a couple of days after this drops. So when you, oh, listen, to, you, when you listen to this, we're just two days behind you. So look for Comics in Motion. And besides that show, there's so many shows on that network as well, as you well know, Dan. You think you've been on all of them by now. Probably, um, probably. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's some. It's there's content dropping every day on there, and there's something for everyone, whatever you're into, music. And films. check out check out Mandatory Marvel and DC, which is your which was your uh, your version where you uh, brought in people and and they recommended books for you uh, from that are mandatory from Marvel and DC. I was on 
on that, and I brought The Life and Death of Captain Marvel, and there's a ton of other absolute classics on there as well, like uh, Born Again and some other stuff as well. Um, I really enjoyed your Foo Fighters uh, podcast on the uh, mandatory music. I enjoyed you just ripping the shit out of Foo Fighters because you're not really a fan, are you? I'm not a fan. Again, I I didn't want to sort of do it on the band because I have nothing against them, but that particular album, One by One, is an absolute stinker in my opinion so um yeah there's good and bad albums on there not every album's a classic so um um, i think you'll if you're if you're into sort of um hard rock slash heavy metal slash well music in general (laughs) (laughs) you'll you'll uh you'll find out what uh we're about so yeah check it out yeah like i said we've got sabbath paranoid coming out Mm. and then the next episode which we're due to record in a couple weeks we're going to do hotel california so we're going to mellow it out a little bit and chill Mm. out and stop banging our heads and listen a bit listen a bit more so yeah uh, yeah, please by all means have a look absolutely well uh, you can find me so I am on Twitter and Mastodon now uh, and that's at Dan underscore balls Um, Twitter's still up and running it's not the the dumpster fire we think it will be uh, just yet but give it time give it time um i'm sure elon will will ruin it even further um but i'm on there if you if you want i will respond i will i still use it i still frequent it still get notifications from it so check it out um facebook i'm on so at secret balls and instagram it's at spider dan secret balls review like share subscribe comment uh, and don't forget to use the hashtag prepare for prattle when you interact with us if you want to join the battalion and to be briefed in full on the secret balls swing over to prattle world at spider dan and the secret balls.com i would like to thank my patrons on patreon i am jack's musings simon cotton paul meller max burn scott hodgson mike burton angry andy tonya todd and tony farina uh, thank you very much for your continuing donations it is very much appreciated especially around this time of year and helps prattle world keep on turning and if you ever find yourself in a position to help the podcast please consider it a uh, big thank you again to you max thank you for for uh fast tracking this managing to sit down watch the film and record i am now going to edit this immediately because it needs to be out by tomorrow if i'm going to keep to my schedule that i made up in my head and nobody else is bothered about but i've got to do it i've got to stay um so i really do appreciate you going above and beyond again you're always one of my favorite guests to have one of my favorite people to talk to and and you brought us an absolute banger really enjoyed it this was my second time watching it and it holds up um the second i watched it around this time last year i think and then we began talking about it and you saying how much you liked it and then that was like well we've got to include it for alternativity stories because it finishes directly on the 25th of december so it's worked out perfectly uh so yes and i wish you a very uh merry christmas as well max as my first guest for alternativity stories um i i was going to get people gifts this year much like last year but unfortunately uh i'm skint uh so i can't do that um i'm absolutely skint uh no um but i still have your prize actually from uh from wizard month so so oh. never Whenever, whenever I get round to to meet up with you again, I'll give you that. So, kind of a Christmas present, but one you've won anyway. But uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I My pleasure. 
I think you're a you're a you're a diamond geezer, uh, and you are a perfect detective partner. If I ever asked for one uh, for a podcast, so thanks again, and uh, look after yourself, and happy holidays to everybody. Uh, keep listening. Batman Returns. I'm recording tomorrow, and that'll be out the following week, and then whatever comes out will come out. I believe it's going to be Jaws: The Revenge, but we'll see. We'll see. Things could happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things could happen who knows but i'm i'm hoping it's jaws of revenge if not i've got something else in the in the pipeline if that doesn't come to be because this is usually the most difficult time of year for me it's my favorite but like nailing people down to get get them to record around this time of year is a fucking nightmare uh but uh here we are i love it i'm really enjoying it and i uh, hope you are enjoying it too so take care everybody and uh look after yourself and don't get involved with any egyptian cults Thank you.